this sermon series on the book of Proverbs. So one of the things that we're trying to do for homework is, uh, is come up with our own Proverbs. Anybody come up with any Proverbs during the week? Did you write any Proverbs for yourself? Katie, roll on. All right, we'll share one proverb. These shouldn't take 90 seconds. These should take nine seconds. That's the advantage of Proverbs. What was your proverb of the week? Something that you came up with, a chunk of wisdom. Uh, use your time wisely because if you don't, someone else will use it however they want. Oh, well, there you go. Yep, yep, yep. Use your time wisely or somebody else will use it. Brilliant. Um, here are uh, a few that I came up with over the last uh, week or two. Um, see if these make sense to you. Evil never takes a stand. It just prevents you from taking one. You think that's true? Yeah. Uh, wisdom sometimes questions, but evil always doubts. You can tell I've just been thinking a lot about the nature of evil. It's just, it's just a negator, right, generally? Um, and then uh, I uh, always like to uh, condense proverbs about leadership as I think about how to be a good leader. Uh, here's one I came up with recently. A great leader is mostly loved and occasionally feared. I think like, if you don't have respect as a leader, uh, then it never quite works for you. Uh, I don't know if I have any here, but great leaders. Um, they get loved, but they also get feared a little bit. That's, those are examples of proverbial wisdom. You know, proverbial wisdom is, is uh, when we take something that we've learned in life, some sort of practical guidance in life, and we kind of boil it down to its essence, uh, maybe in a pithy saying or uh, something like that. And we call that proverbial uh, in that it, it can be expressed in a proverb. It can be expressed in a short way. It gives you something to chew on, something to carry with you. Uh, we have the book of Proverbs in the Bible, which is primarily a collection of these short sayings, these short sayings that serve as condensations of, of, of principles of practical guidance in life, that, that short sayings that really help you navigate in life. Uh, they are easy to learn because they are so short. Uh, they are easy to pass on because they're so condensed. You can share them with somebody and they will actually remember what you said because it's only a sentence or two sentences. And therefore, Proverbs are excellent for instructions. They are excellent teaching tools. And if you want to become a, a community of wisdom, which I think is what we want to become, then Proverbs will really do well for you. It's good to be people of Proverbs and people of proverbial wisdom. So I just love it that people are coming up with little nuggets that they can share with one another. I think that will be amazingly fruitful. Uh, we've been doing uh, the uh, sermon series on Proverbs for a few weeks now, uh, three or four weeks. The first principle of the book of Proverbs in the introduction of the book of Proverbs is really easy. It's essentially this. If you want wisdom, you'll have to go get it. Uh, Got several chapters at the beginning of the book basically just hammering home this point. Wisdom is valuable. Go get it. Don't be passive about it. If you don't go get wisdom, then you'll probably just float into foolishness. Uh, you have to be active, proactive, and aggressive about getting wisdom. The first element of wisdom, and once you decide to go get it and start growing in it, then the first thing that you have to learn, the first step that you have to take has to do with moral education. You have to appreciate good and evil. That is the first step 
to being a wise person. We are told uh, across four or five chapters in the book of Proverbs. And most basically what you want to do is you want to learn to fear evil. Well, you want to learn to fear the doing of evil. Be afraid of doing evil. And that's actually the, the start of wisdom in your life. Avoid evil because if you do it, it will make you stupid. Evil makes you stupid is the lesson that Proverbs gives us. Okay, that was more or less the first, you know, nine or ten chapters of the book of Proverbs, all of the introductory uh, principles and remarks. And now we're going to move into the rest of the book. It has 31 chapters. We'll kind of go through chapter 10 through chapter 31. And almost all of the rest of the book of Proverbs is pure Proverbs. It's just long lists of wise sayings in no particular order. They're just collections of these little condensations, these little wisdom nuggets. Um, so uh, here's my plan uh, going through the rest of the book. Uh, we are hopefully reading through the book together. Either you're reading four or five chapters a week or you're reading a chapter a day. So moving together. Uh, so what I'm going to do is take those four or five, six chapters that we read in a given week and I'm going to make that the selection for any given Sunday. Today we're going to go roughly through, you know, like 11 through 15, 16 or so. Um, and, and here's my plan on how to do that. Uh, I will take from the selection uh, a few old favorites of mine in any group of uh, chapters from the book of Proverbs. Uh, there will be a handful that I remember studying in my youth or something like that. Some that have proven fruitful for me. Uh, over the years, and since I'm the one preaching the sermon, I get to share my favorites. That's the rule. Um, and then I will offer reflection on one proverb from those chapters that uh, speaks to me something that I need to work on currently, because Proverbs is always fresh, and I just kind of want to say, well, yeah, you know, every time I go and read through these things, I find something that stirs me in life currently. But then what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick a handful from the weekly selection that, that somehow typify or illustrate an important theme found in the book of Proverbs. There are you know, hundreds and hundreds of Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, but there are themes that emerge. You know, a lot of Proverbs written on particular themes. And so today our, going, our theme is going to be uh, about how important it is to watch your mouth. We have to be smart-mouthed people by which I mean wise-mouthed people. A lot of us are smart-mouthed people. Um, so just, uh, just to get warmed up, here are a few of my old favorites from our selection in Proverbs uh, this week. Proverbs 11.22. <clears throat> like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. I'm, I'm quite sure uh, that can be applied to the other gender as well. Like a gold ring in a pig snout is a beautiful man who shows no discretion. Uh, I remember reading that uh, when I was a, a teenager, you know, and just sort of getting into that sort of, wow, there are girls in the world sort of thing. And, uh, and uh, walking through uh, the hallways of my middle school uh, one day and um, thinking about gold rings in girls' snouts. That sounds really insulting, I know. But there was, there's some sort of wisdom in that uh, that uh, really shaped me. Uh, 
chapter 1130. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. I remember a, a, a pastor of mine sharing that uh, when I was uh, in high school. I was listening to a sermon one Sunday, and, and, I, and I feel like it, it really shaped my life uh, since then, that uh, if you are a righteous person, one important measure uh, is um, how you are fruitful in the lives of people around you. Right? If, if you're living well, you will bless people. And uh, he who wins souls is wise, that the payoff of wisdom be that you get to save people, you get to restore lives, and that's the hallmark. That's, that's the goal. And that kind of boils it down in a nice way for me. How are you doing in life? Well, how fruitful are you? Um, worth thinking about. Chapter 12, uh, verse 10. A righteous man cares for the needs of his animal, but the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. I always like the first part of that. A righteous man cares for the needs of his animal because I am a world-class animal lover. If you know anything about me, uh, you know that. And it immediately made sense to me. It's like, yeah, that feels like righteousness. A kind person is a kind person. A kind person is not kind selectively. A kind person is not kind just to his or her family. A kind person is not kind just to people who are like uh, he or she is. Uh, a kind person is not kind to the people that he or she feels called to. A kind person is kind and loving all the time to animals, to children, to old people, to, to anyone. And uh, you have to be uh, consistent. In the same way, wicked people are sort of consistently destructive across the board. And I think, yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. They always manage to get a little destruction to anything that they do. And uh, I don't know. You, you can't be selectively righteous, loving. You cannot be selectively wicked. It just corrupts all of who you are and how you behave. And I think that there's wisdom in that. Chapter 13, verse 2. <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. How many of you already knew that one? One of the most popular proverbs, I think, in the book. I hear that quoted a lot. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Uh, if you're hoping for something and you don't get it, if you are disappointed chronically in life, it makes you spiritually sick. It really weakens you almost like nothing else in life, I think. Uh, and so if you are a shepherd of people, you have to learn how to treat hope sickness. And that was one of the things I learned when I was a teenager. It's like, yeah, hope sickness is a big deal. It afflicts the hu human race. And a longing fulfilled um, <clears throat> is a tree uh, of life. You know, teach people what to long for. Um, get people uh, to places in which they feel that their heart is fulfilled. And then watch the life spread from them to other people. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom in there, a lot to think about. Uh, but I think is really true. 14, verse 4. Uh, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. Some of your translations will read, where there is no oxen, the stall is clean. But from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. That's, that's very earthy, practical wisdom. Do you understand what it means? It's like, uh, uh, you know, anybody ever worked on a farm? Or something like that? Yeah. So animals are really messy. Uh, they, really, they really take a, a lot of, of work. Uh, it's a grimy business, but from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. 
Um, we have a very modern version of that that I think is, is far more shallow. Uh, you have to spend money to make money. Or you have to crack a few eggs to make an omelet. Um, or uh, for those of you living a life of ministry, you have to be willing to make messes if you want to change the world. Um, I think all of that is true. You can't live a clean life, people. Not, not if you want to accomplish anything. And, uh, you know, that's, I don't know if that sounds godly to you or not, or especially spiritual, but I think it's really true. 14.10, each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. I remember reading that when I was uh, a teenager and, and just sort of, uh, you know, gasping. It hit me so hard. Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. Uh, I read a quote recently that said, um, uh, in the end, no one will understand you. But what you need is someone who will try. That's enough. Um, that, um, there's, there's a fundamental bit of life that is always solo. You know, we are individuals. Um, we will all have uh, mysterious places in our heart that we find difficult to articulate, that we feel like nobody appreciates. And you know what? That's fine. That's fine. Um, you will, there are things that you will need to carry by yourself in order to be a mature human. Um, but what you want uh, are people who will share with you what they can and help you uh, carry um, what, what they can help you with. And no one else can share its joy. Well, that's the positive spin of it, right? That there will be things that delight you, things that delight you about those close to you, or things that delight you about life, or things that delight you about God that is yours and yours alone. In every truly intimate relationship, uh, there is something that only the two of you share, you know, a happy thing. Um, there will be things that make you happy uh, that are unique to you, and that's fine. And if you appreciate that, it will somehow make you a powerful individual. I don't know, you like those? Just, I mean, those are just kind of like quick hits on wisdom. And that's what Proverbs gets you, some quick hits on wisdom. Uh, one proverb from this week's uh, reading selection that points to something, I should probably just read this verbatim, points to something that I feel like I need to work on, comes from that last chapter, chapter 14, verse 29. Um, and those of you who know me, I think will probably recognize that this is true. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly or displays foolishness. Uh, patient, that word patient uh, in the old language literally means something like long-suffering, you know, a person of, of, of stamina. Um, a patient man has great understanding. There's, there's, a, there's a connection between being, being willing to stick with something or to wait on something and being a person of understanding. Nobody gets understanding quickly in life, it seems. You know, it works out slowly over time. So if you lack patience, you'll never be wise. Uh, and if you lack patience, you will display uh, folly. Um, if, you, if you have outbursts, if you can't stick with something for very long, you'll end up being a fool. And uh, not only end up being a fool, but you will display it. Everyone will know that, that you're a fool. I am good at half of patience, I think. Uh, by which I mean, uh, as an individual, I have a tremendous amount of stamina. I think that, sometimes I think that's my, 
singular life skill. Um, and I have great commitment to things. I am faithful like a good old dog, you know. Uh, I work, I wait, I do not give up on things. Um, and uh, that's, that's good about me, right? That's good, snaps for me. Okay, uh, but I do, have, I do have squalls of short-temperedness. I have squalls of anger. My family's like, amen, amen, preach it. Um, you know, I am faithful like a dog, but I'm stormy, right? So what ends up happening to me is that I, I, I always do the right thing, generally. That's not, that's not entirely true, but, you know, generally speaking, I, I do the right thing, but I weaken myself with anger while I do it. That's what I mean by I'm half patient. I will do this thing. I will stick with it, but I will grumble. <laughs> Anyone else? Can I get a witness? Right? Okay, that's, that's me. And so I'm good at half of patience, which means that I'm half wise and half foolish. And, and I think that this is something that I need to work on. Let's hear a big amen from those closest to me. Uh, one of the ways I can tell how I'm doing on that score um, or how I'm doing on faith generally is by the words that come out of my mouth or don't come out of my mouth, as, as the case may be. It turns out that words are very powerful, and that's something that the book of Proverbs returns to again and again and again. Uh, I've learned that from the book of Proverbs, and from time to time, uh, the Lord has dealt with me on it uh, directly. Um, most of you know that there was a period in my life um, when I uh, uh, was in grad school, uh, when I went through just a savage time of depression, and I was really struggling uh, with it uh, in, in a very serious way. And, and during the midst of that uh, great depression, as I call it, um, I had this dream uh, that I've shared with some of you. It was my Christmas stocking dream. So I had, I had a dream one night uh, when I was in a grumbling spirit. I was mad about life. I was very depressed about things. It got to the point where I was sort of despairing of life. I had this dream. Uh, in the dream, uh, it was Christmas time, and there was a Christmas stocking hanging on a mantelpiece in my house. And, and uh, the content of the dream was essentially this that whenever I spoke something positive, the stocking would grow. Um, and so in the dream, I was just trying to think of positive things to say, you know, bright things to say. And whenever I would say something positive, it got bigger, it got bigger until, you know, I had a 16-foot-long Christmas stocking. And then Santa came, and the idea was, well, think of all the gifts he can stuff into that thing uh, because it has gotten so big. And I woke up, and then it was very easy to interpret, uh, of course, the Lord was saying to me that your words are very powerful. If you want more blessings in your life, speak positively, which sounds like something you'd hear on an infomercial, and it doesn't sound like super significant wisdom, you know? Look on the bright side of things. But, but I don't think that was it. I think it was speak the bright side of things. You have to actually say it, Jordan. So I embarked on a season of fasting, uh, uh, a restrictive fast and then a proactive fast. The restrictive fast was uh, for some months I disallowed myself to complain about anything. I could not complain about the weather. This was in Chicago. I could not, com <laughs> I could not complain about the weather. I could not complain about traffic. I could not complain about people or the way that I couldn't complain about anything at all. Uh, and I did this for months and that just about killed me. And then 
I would try to say positive things from time to time. And that, I think that did kill me. And, and that I think it, it killed a lot of me, uh, parts that, that had to die. And I, and I was far better at not saying stuff, not saying negative stuff than I was at saying positive stuff. It would like, I would choke in my throat when I, when I tried this. Every time I said it, I felt like I had to, you know, go sit down for a few minutes. Um, because I'm just, you know, it's, it's hard for me. Um, because I had all this negativity uh, in, in, my, in my spirit. Anyway, more I could say about that. But uh, the point uh, of that whole thing for me was uh, that the words one speak can lead the way in life. Can lead the way up or they can lead the way down. But your words are incredibly powerful. Uh, there are a lot of uh, evolutionary anthropologists that argue that it's really speech that made us human. You know, it's our ability to communicate. It's how we use our words that shape our brain. Uh, and I, I tend to agree with that, that, that insight. Um, the words that you use uh, somehow define you. And it turns out that the book of Proverbs has a ton to say on the subject of watching your mouth. Uh, and I've listed some of them in the back of your program, just selections. And this is just from, you know, the five or six chapters uh, that we're taking a look at this week. Believe me, uh, there are more in these chapters than I wrote down, and there are way more Proverbs on this in the book of Proverbs than I could fit on a single page of paper. It is one of the major themes of the book of, of Proverbs, of the wisdom book uh, in, in the Bible. So let's just read through some of these. Uh, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. I actually think that's a fairly poor translation. The older translation than I uh, read something like, um, um, where words are multiplied, sin never ends. That's a little more condemnatory. When you speak a lot, sin thrives. But the prudent or the wise hold their tongues. Uh, the next one, whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongues. You know, you're tempted to criticize people. If you're a person of understanding, you probably just keep your mouth shut. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Doesn't say it directly, but I think that's mostly about speech, right? Uh, somebody makes you angry, um, and uh, are you going to show? how annoyed you are or not. There's something about that interaction that has a lot to do with wisdom, it turns out. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. Control. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. You can deal with a heart through your words. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives. Oh, my goodness. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives. But those who speak rashly will come to ruin. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Well, that makes sense. The soothing tongue is a tree of life. But a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. And be a person that blesses people, have a soothing tongue. 
You want to be a person, person that crushes people? No, have a perverse tongue. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Yeah, well. <clears throat> even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. I love that one. That's another one of my favorite ones. Even fools, if they just shut up, will be thought wise uh, and discerning if they hold their tongues. Overall, the message of these Proverbs and so many others like them in the book of Proverbs is, is the necessity of guarding the mouth. And you have to ask why. Well, I think there's a big connection between mouth and self-control. Controlling what you speak is the heart of controlling uh, you. You know, controlling what you speak is really the heart of of self-control. And discerning what to say, choosing what you say, when you say it, how you say it, is really the foundation of all discernment in life. The book of Proverbs goes so far as to suggest that. It really starts uh, with your words. Uh, What you speak is really at the core of self-control and the core of of discernment, of, of recognizing what's good, what's evil, what's helpful, and what is not. Uh, uh, 1019 uh, says, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. If you babble, you will get confused. It's kind of what that says. There are times in life where you're tempted just to, just to talk, just to talk. You know, what is it in us that makes us do that? You know, it's not just extroversion. Some of us just like talking more than others. But but there's, there's a wisdom issue here. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, who appreciates the potency of words and is conservative with them. Whoever has understanding is even-tempered. James 3 puts it this way. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. You know, it's like, give me a man, give me a woman who uh, speaks perfectly, and I will give you a perfect man or a perfect woman. The connection is that direct able to keep their whole body in check. If you can control what you say, you can control your whole body, it turns out. When we put bits into the mouths of horses uh, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one life, one's life on fire. That's a powerful muscle, the tongue. Uh, I think the corollary here is if you can't control your words, your words will control you. It's just a a great truism of life. That is a a strong piece of proverbial wisdom. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives. But those who speak rashly, without thinking enough, will come to ruin. Relatedly, if you can't keep silent, you can't control your words. So you could say that silence is the cornerstone of mouth control. You know, it's what you don't say. And so we all better learn to value silence and to master the fine art of not speaking. You know? So when you have a complaint against God, you have to master the fine art of not speaking about it. Way to go. I know I manipulated you into doing it and stuff, but that's, a, that's beside the point. Um, Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. Wisdom is often in what you don't say, very often in what you don't say. And if you can't, if you have to speak out what's in your heart, 
right? If that seems like morality to you, uh, then you haven't understood wisdom yet. You know, that really not speaking is foundational. The ability to not speak gives you the ability to choose what you do speak. And that is discernment. And Proverbs just says this again and again and again. Do you think it's true? If you think it's true, don't say anything. Brilliant! Um, the prudent keep knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. You know, the prudent keeps knowledge to themselves. What is that about? Well, I, I think it's just a truism. If you're a wise person, you're not even going to share your wisdom wherever you go. In fact, have you ever known someone who just shares their wisdom all the time? It's a foolish person because they just piss people off, right? It's like, keep it to yourself, buddy. Um, and Proverbs is earthy enough to recognize this. Um, you know, we have to get into the habit of offering our insights selectively, as in, is this a helpful time to speak or not? Wise people uh, constantly ask themselves that. Uh, my favorite, again, is, is from chapter 17. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I can do that. Um, I cannot say anything. Uh, any moron could pull that off, uh, which I think, which I think is, is the point. So the summary here is, uh, as words are powerfully destructive, they are powerfully constructive, and the word that is chosen carefully through self-control and wisdom is a mighty blessing and a healer. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Uh, often it's not what I say, it's that I say it that counts in life. Very often it's what I don't say that counts in life. Very often it's what I keep saying that counts in life. Words are powerful in many different ways. Often I pray that the Lord shows me what is the, the best thing to say, what is the true thing to say. Lord, what's the right answer in this situation? Uh, but the Lord will go one step further and show me what is the helpful thing to say. And how many of you know that the correct answer is not always the helpful thing to say? I think about that theme a lot, and I, and I think that this is what a lot of these Proverbs are getting at. Um, finding the helpful thing to say is really what we're after in, in life. Did you ever notice that Jesus almost never answers the question he's asked? in Scripture. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever gone through the Bibles, Bible and stories and, and just notice how Jesus responds to, to questions? By my account, he only gives a direct answer to a question once in all of the four Gospels. Uh, 29 out of 30 times, Jesus answers a question with a better question. He's always finding the issue behind the issue. Right? He's always shifting the conversation to a better frame uh, of reference. Mark 4, uh, the disciples and Jesus are in the boat on the stormy sea, and the disciples turn around in fear, and they rage at Jesus, and they say, Don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus wakes up and says, Why are you afraid? Right? He, he, he reframes uh, the debate. Like, Don't you care? And God responds, why are you afraid? That's wisdom, right? Because what was the real issue in the boat? The real issue in the boat was um, fear, 
And Jesus just didn't have any time for talking about anything else. Plus, he was napping, and they woke him up, and he was probably a little bit short. But <laughs> reframe the issue. Uh, Mark chapter 2, when the friends dig the hole in the guy's roof and lowers the paralyzed friend down, um, all the religious leaders that were there got very offended at Jesus and grumbled about him. And it says, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. Right? He perceives what the real issue is. And the real issue is not the hole in the roof. The real issue, unfortunately, is not the suffering of the paralyzed man. Uh, and he says to them, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? He totally reframes the issue and says this is about God's love and power, not about your offense. So let's be clear what the issue is. Uh, Matthew 15, there are thousands of people waiting to be fed. Uh, and Jesus' disciples asked him, where could we get enough bread? Where could we buy enough bread for the crowd? We don't have enough. And Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? The question is never, do we have enough? The question is always, what do you have? Use it. Kingdom of God, right there. Wisdom. Jesus was a master at this. On no occasion does he just respond quickly, grumpily, or narrowly to the provocations that come to him in his life. He's always discerning. On occasion, just keeping his mouth shut. You know? Pilate is accusing him with stuff, and he's just like, it's not going to speak. It'd be better. Tremendous control over his mouth, and I think that really equipped him to be wise generally. Um, I think the heart of wisdom is knowing what the real issue is in every situation. To not just talk the conversation, but to truly listen and truly speak in the midst of it. You know what I mean? What's the real issue? Three observations on finding the real issue. Number one, your mouth probably doesn't know what the real issue is. Don't trust your mouth. Um, your mouth is not a great listener. Um, it knows how you feel, but that's different. Um, talking quickly or talking a lot often obscures the real issue. Slow down. Slow down. Uh, therefore, since your mouth is kind of ignorant, don't let it speak much until you know what you want your mouth to say. Uh, and then say the helpful thing. We want to be a community of smart-mouthed people, right? Uh, imagine if every, every word you heard here at Blue Water or every word that you heard in one of our Ohana groups uh, was a wise word. Uh, people would travel for many miles to partake of that, a word of healing. Um, there's a great value in pausing to be discerning. And I would love us to be people who pause in conversations for moments of discernment and ask ourselves, what is the helpful thing to say to bless this person right now? And great gifts can be given in that fashion. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. We could speak empowering words. So here are some tips for being smart-mouthed. And we will end with this today. Tips for being wise-mouthed. Number one, shut up. Uh, at least allow yourself to wait to speak. Um, I do a lot of... Uh, of uh, Couples counseling, you know, uh, as married couples, we often get into uh, twisted places, and it's great uh, to have a, a trusted friend uh, to speak into those situations. Here's something that every, every couple needs the ability to do. Every couple needs a pause button. Uh, 
right? You're falling into that pattern of argument. Hit the pause button. Shut up. Walk away from it. That is so important to give yourselves the grace to take a pause when your mouth has outstripped truth, <laughs> love. Uh, you need the ability to do that. If you're the sort of person that needs satisfaction now, then I'm here to tell you that you probably won't get satisfaction. Right? You need to learn to wait for it and to be slow uh, about getting it, uh, particularly in relationships. Anybody? Amen? I think that's true. Uh, so shut up is the first skill. Life skill. Shut up. Life skill number two for having a smart mouth. Ask more questions. Ask more questions. And I do not say this because you need more information. You may or may not need more information, but whether or not you do, it's probably helpful for you to ask more questions in life. Here's a go-to question of mine when I'm interacting with someone in a tough situation. Hmm, why do you think that? Good, write that down. Super valuable question. Somebody comes to you with some confusion or some complaint, just say, hmm, why do you think that? And then if they give you some answer, don't be afraid to say, hmm, why do you think that? Just keep going. And a lot of the times, they'll eventually answer their own question because something will become evident, and what will become evident is the issue behind the issue. Just by asking, huh, why, why do you think, how'd you come to that? Um, why, why do you believe that? Just, just me saying that sometimes gives people the impression that, oh, you mean I have a choice? Yes, you do. Uh, find the issue behind the issue. Other good standby questions. Um, what has God said about that? That's a great one. That's like 80% of my counseling right there. What's God say about that? And the value of that question uh, is that it points to God. Oh, well, have you let God into that situation? Have you considered godly wisdom? S simple, uh, but somehow very wise. Uh, here's another one. What's your goal in that? What, why are we doing this? Why are you doing that? What's your target here? Uh, what that does is it helps clarify what the subject is. It, it differentiates between, I really want that and should I want that? <laughs> Which is a huge ground of contention where wisdom is concerned. What you want and what you should want, right? There's something about that that has a lot to do with wisdom. Here's another great one. What do you want from me? Right? You have to say it in the right way because if you're arguing with your wife and you say, what do you want from me? That does not help. That does not help. Uh, but, you know, if it's just some friend in your life, it's like, okay, what do you want from me? In other words, what can I do that would be helpful? And what that does is that it brings the situation from whatever the conversation is to the real issue is like, how can we help your life? Which is always what you want to be directed at. It points to the helpfulness agenda rather than the complaint agenda. Uh, tip number three, ask yourself if there's an issue behind the issue. Um, the way I do this uh, when I'm interacting with people is that I ask myself one simple question. And here's that simple question. How is this person? I will do that in almost every interaction I have. I will do that in almost every interaction I have with you guys in a few minutes, you know, after the service when people come up and talk to me. Uh, there are two seconds at the beginning of every conversation where I'm not really listening to you. What I'm doing is I'm asking myself, okay, how is this person? And then what that does is it puts me in the frame of perspective where I say, you know, whatever you're saying, I'm going to try and discern what's going on. 
what's really going on, because that's what I'm here for in life, to bless people, right? So how is this person really? And that prevents you from dealing with superficial stuff, and it gets you down to uh, the deeper level. I hope you don't think I'm rude uh, when I say that, but I just want to be a blessing, and I want my words to really count. Uh, and so how is this person? How's this person doing? It reminds me to be concerned about the person rather than about the question or about the criticism the person is levying against me or anything like that. You know, like in every interaction, chiefly, I just want to be the blessing that I should be to you. Uh, and number four, speak in order to help. Speak to help. Don't speak to make a point. Don't speak to win an argument. Don't speak to be heard. Speak to help. And this is a high art form. This is a glorious ministry. To be a person who uses her words, his words, to actually help the world. This skill is built first on discipline, on self-control, controlling your tongue. That's how it starts. That might involve silence. Secondly, it's built on collected wisdom. Have you or have you not gone out and gotten wisdom in life that you can share with people? Um, and to always know what to say, to always know what to say, to be the person who always knows what to say. World changing. You will be a tree of life. It will change your life and you will change so many lives around you if you just develop the capacity to of knowing what to say, the helpful thing to say. Sounds so simple. Huge. Huge. Right. Wisdom is, is practical guidance for life based on respect for God and an embrace of goodness. Words of wisdom can heal and empower whole lives, whole communities. I would like to be that sort of community. Huh? How many of you need to watch your mouth? How many of you, how many of you need to grow in that all-important ability of shutting up? Yeah. How many of you need to find the helpful thing to say rather than the justified thing to say in conversations. Yeah, you healers. How many of you uh, really need to get some wisdom uh, on this? Let's pray. Lord, we submit to you our tongues. We submit to you our words. Uh, we trust you with our mouths Help us to overcome our distrust. We pray, Heavenly Father, uh, that you would develop in us the fruit of self-control. Bless us with the, the blessing of uh, silence. Free us from lies. have to do with speaking our minds or whatever else has gotten in the way.
And we pray uh, humbly and needfully, Lord, that you would make us a community of wise speakers, that here in this house would be the word of wisdom, the tree of life, of healing words. Uh, we pray that blessing in every marriage and every family and every small group. Let our words be wise and honoring and helpful. After you have given us self-control, Lord, uh, we just pray that you would give us uh, the words of life, that you would really make us uh, wise and understanding and insightful in a way uh, that is, is necessary. Make us people who know what to say and when to say it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.